Hey, Gabriel Blake. Hey, Gabriel Jose. Where are we today? I'm in the same goddamn position I was the last recording. I didn't move. I didn't go to the armchair. I'm in <laughs> San Francisco in the same spot. I hope that at least you actually move since the last time that we recorded. You know, that you haven't been spending like weeks like just sitting there. I've moved a little bit, like from the couch to the bed, the bed to the couch. So. Okay. Okay. Well, that's enough, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and I'm still in Chicago now enjoying the real beginning of the fall slash eternal winter uh, after dropping from 73 degrees to 40 the next day and then just continue that. Uh, it was snowing, but it was not setting. Yeah. Really? It's yeah. Yeah, it is no yesterday, it started yesterday. So today has been the uh, the second day of surprise motherfucker. The winter is here. That sounds horrible. I moved to a place with better weather. <laughs> like what, like Florida? Uh, San Francisco. Uh, uh, you know, good weather is pretty relative in San Francisco. Yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> uh, but in between, uh, what did we watch this time? We watched one of the most embarrassing exposures of ego the director have, has ever directed. Oh, <laughs> oh! You're not even like just waiting to to even give the title. You're already started like just all out. Okay. Uh, what's his first name? Alejandro. Alejandro Iñárritu's new film Bardo. But it's not just called Bardo. Let's call it by its full name. Bardo, false chronicle of a handful of truths. Okay. <laughs> and that was my pick. And why did I pick it? Well, I think that you brought it up first that it was like, a... no, that was your pick. Sorry, yeah, it was not was mine. My pick. You have to summarize it. Fuck you. Oh my God. Okay, yeah, go ahead. I completely forgot. So why did you pick Bardo? I picked Bardo because uh, my husband bought me tickets to see this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's it. I said, hey, Jose, I'm going to see Bardo. Do you want to talk about it on the podcast? That's it. I think that on the last podcast, we were also discussing a bit about like the damage that the algorithms on streaming platforms were, you know, like were generating with, uh, I think we were talking about Cosway last time, and we we're talking about like A24, that it almost felt like a, a cloud of words about like, hey, this is what we want to generate. We want to generate a movie that it can win festivals. You know, I can still appeal to these specific sensitivities. sensitivities. Uh, so I think that when you mentioned Bardo and we realized that it was like a Netflix movie, I personally was curious to actually see what would happen here because I do like Alejandro González in January too. It may be like one of those very few directors that they have like more than six movies and I have watched all of them and I tend to like most of them. Yeah, I feel like um, I like most of his films. I mean, the, the film that comes to mind it immediately is beautiful fuck this guy but then like considering Birdman it's like yeah, no, this is a good film yeah. it's good I mean 
he doesn't actually do long shots. He edits them together, but it was a good film. Mm, yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, so, as this was your pick, I guess that I have to summarize it. Uh, this is a movie that right now is only on cinemas. By the time that this comes out, it may be already on Netflix. I think that it goes on Netflix like mid-December. Um, so, but in any case, as we discuss, is that we are not going to be like holding back much on the spoiler front. Yeah, no, we're gonna fully spoil. Yeah, just making it a bit easier to watch and discuss. Uh, basically, the movie follows the uh, the life, not the life, but a bit more like the occurrences on on this director, this Mexican director that lives in the United States, and he has been awarded an award. A, a prize, you know, like from the uh, what is it, like the Cinema Makers Association of the United States or the Journalists Association of the United States yeah, something, he, he's given an award that should be the Oscars because that's what this film is about uh, sure, sure <laughs> I'm not sure this is so <laughs> obvious what he was trying to talk about it's yeah, I mean, well, he, he talks about himself I mean, this is like basically one of the most obvious beyond, if you actually remove Woody Allen playing himself on his movies you know, is that this may be like the most obvious kind of projection of a director towards like a role on the screen or Charles Kaufman in adaptation that is like well that's Charles Kaufman and it's called Charles Kaufman it's like in this case at least it's not the same name but it's a Mexican director that he made it big in the United States he's a journalist and a and a documentary maker and he's like receiving this you know like a war for his career all of the scenes that we see in the movie they have like a very dreamlike property to them. It actually falls into magic realism. At the beginning of the movie, most of the scenes they don't make any kind of sense, and then it actually starts like just getting a tiny bit more grounded in reality as when he goes to the uh, TV set or the interview. But then it turns, it, once again, it turns into a bit more of a fantasy, like just leaking into his real life. So from the first 10-15 minutes, I think that you can already imagine how the movie ends. There is no effort for just trying to hide what he is doing. I don't know if you agree with that part or not, but the movie lasts like two hours and a half. No, I think I think from the very beginning it's very clear how he wants to finish the film. And I like yeah. that you you bring up uh, Charlie Kaufman because maybe thirty minutes into the film I was like, oh my fucking god, this guy's a genius. This is like if. Charlie Kaufman and Fellini had a baby and they made this <laughs> and then like 45 minutes in I was like fuck you fuck well, you <laughs> that's true I actually thought like several times it's like this is the theater of the absurd you know about like how over the top like some of the stuff is like for example when he has like this trip through Mexico the sorry through Mexico City and uh, he started like seeing people like falling in front of him and how he just like climbs I don't know what is like the the Soco I don't know what is the name of that square a super famous one in uh, Mexico City and he starts talking with Hernan Cortez and you see like a uh, uh, what is the name of this like very this woman this Aztec uh, woman that betrayed this is towards the end yeah towards the end 
that was actually one of the conversations that I thought was, I was like, wow, this is super interesting. I mean, it's interesting because the movie, uh, the movie is not only about like the, uh, he basically used the character, what is it, Silverio, Silverio's character as a vehicle for Mexican reality, you know, like being so influenced by, you know, like as the Spaniards conquering, um, you know, like that territory, like destroying the Aztec culture and how the American culture has actually just taken over and just like trying to figure it out who are we really, what is actually like our real identity. Are we really proud of who we are or are we ashamed of who we are? Is that do we need to actually, uh, how do you say, uh, embrace our cultural heritage for actually being recognized externally or will we only be recognized externally when we actually sell ourselves to what other people expect of us? So I will say that um, I did find the conversation with Cortez extremely interesting, especially when he said <coughs> that Mexicans have rejected Spain and they rejected the people that they committed genocide against. Yeah. And so they have uh, limited themselves to bastardy, is what they said in the film. And it's like, wow, yeah, that's completely accurate. I feel like Mexicans don't actually have an identity because they've rejected everything. No, I mean, I don't think that it's so much about like just not having an identity. It's a bit more about having a conflicted identity, having like many kind of sources and not being able to uh, conflate all of them into just like their own identity, you know, is that that's the part that I feel about, like there is this kind of internal conflict about like, hey, should we be proud or not? Because Spaniards had actually just like treated them as we shouldn't be proud. Well, we had treated them as you shouldn't be proud about like your cultural heritage. You should take ours, but is that you also rejected. But don't you find like Silverio's desperate need for the approval of Americans an example enough? Like he was super critical of America and Mexico. But the one thing we can say for sure is that he was desperate for American um, appraisal or awards, which we can obviously understand that he feels guilty about winning the Oscar. Potentially, you know, but it's like, I think that what defines like pretty good, like that situation, you know, like the reality of this character is the conversation that they have in the apartment that I really like that apartment uh, in the DF, in the Mexico City, sorry, uh, where the wife tells him is that, hey, this is the reality that you have, is that when you talk with Mexicans, is that you always talk extremely poorly about the culture that we have here. You always criticize everything from the politics, from the uh, culture, absolutely everything. But when you go to the United States, you're always like trying to sell that we are more than the stereotype that they try to see on us. You know, it's like he tries to dance like in that kind of line between that's like what is selling because other people actually like, throw to himself. Like, hey, you are selling yourself. And it's a bit more of his dreams, you know, so he's actually, even these people may not tell him directly, he has that fear about like just selling himself to another industry. The same way that he has like this very surrealist scene in the airport and immigration, 
where the guy that is like clearly known, known white, you know. But if you ever tried to go through customs at a Mexican airport, it's fucking way worse than coming to America. It's horrible. It's a horrible experience. I don't know, dude. I mean, I've gone through both, and I know like that part about like just people telling you like "Welcome home" is like, or not telling you "Welcome home" is like a bit more of a script kind of thing. Is that that's a reality? Is that for me when they send me to secondary inspection because I have like an extremely common name, they always tell me when they finish the secondary inspection, it's a sort of like a inspection. It's like "Welcome home." They tell me that, and I always, I even told you once, it's like, hey, every single time that they send me to secondary inspection, when they tell me that, it doesn't feel like hope, but they have to tell me because I'm a resident. I'm not a citizen, but I'm a resident. In his case, that he only has like a merit academy visa kind of thing, is like, he's not a permanent resident, but he lives there but he feels like he doesn't belong anywhere. And from that perspective, I resonate a lot with the reality that he displays. Oh, don't tell me that, because I found this uh, intellectual masturbation to the extreme. I, I was so pissed off with him. It's like, okay, you like Mexico, and you don't like Mexico, and you definitely don't like America. So why are you going to America? I, I, I found it so absurd, the arguments he was making, that I was like, no. I, no, honestly, I found it real. I found it like completely honest and heartfelt because he's part of what he's describing is like part of my experience too. He's like, I'm not but someone that I grew in America. He got crucified on a stage and held his arms out like Jesus and, and then died in the arms of all of the people who loved him. That was so fucking self-indulgent. As I left the theater, I was so pissed off and I audibly groaned at how self-indulgent this film was. It's <laughs> absurd and ridiculous. That's, look, I'm not going to be like telling you that it's not excessive and it's like as on and is exercise. I'm not going to be like telling you that it's not. Now, what I'm going to be like telling you is that I think that this movie is more than the sum of its parts. But it's more like how I relate to this, how I feel it is actually her fault. And actually my boyfriend, that he's Mexican, you know, is that we talk about like a lot of the reality he told me is like, look, everything that he's describing about Mexico, about like how they feel about like this kind of internal kind of a struggle, that's 100% real. It's like, we all have it. It's like, we want to be proud, but at the same time, we are the same of it. And Spaniards, we have it to a specific measure. That is that I'm going to be like selling people about Spain in any kind of sense that I have as a Barcelona. But when I talk with the Spaniards, I'm going to be like just criticizing all the time about like, hey, we are like one step away from a banana republic in many, many things. I, I can respect that 100%, but um, so my husband has a good friend who lives in Mexico City and he brought, he's an older guy, he's like 40, 50, and he brought his very young boyfriend he was like 23 24 and this guy's name is danielle and he is an architect and he was like oh mexico is the land of opportunity in america i could never design buildings but as a 24 year old i can definitely design buildings in mexico and he spoke from a place of uh privilege and 
I feel like that's where Inyarito was speaking from. He doesn't understand. He's part of the 1% of the 1%. And then he's complaining about a country that has given him every opportunity in the world. And he doesn't recognize that his experience is not the average Mexican experience. That's correct, but it's like at the same time, is that he recognizes, or what he's trying to portray, is that this is ingrained in the DNA of Mexico. It doesn't really matter about like if you come from a very big family, you know, like really like how they call it, like fresa, you know, like really like rich kind of family, or you just only come from a poor one, is like people are going to be like criticizing the country and they're going to say, it's like, hey, this is shit. Mostly everything is shit. And this happens a lot in almost every single Latin American country. And probably your husband can tell you that in Argentina, they also do like quite a bit of that. Yeah, watching this film, I was like, this is exactly my husband. Like, he criticizes Argentina to no end. But if I say something critical of Argentina, he was like, no, Argentina is the best country in the world. You have no idea. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. But uh, I mean, from that perspective, I felt like the, 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 the character is not a single song. You know, it doesn't feel like it's a single note. I feel like it's a complex character. I feel like it's heartfelt. It may be. Alejandro González Iñárritu, and he may be feeling like God, you know, or whatever. I just feel like he is in a bit more of a impossible situation kind of thing. And it's a bit more about like just... Well, well, no, it's because I... Not because he's Mexican, you know, but a bit more about like what it comes along with just being Mexican. And it can be about him, and it can be almost about every single person that immigrates to another country, you know, after a specific age. Different countries are going to have like different pride and different cultures. But I can tell you that between Spain and Mexico is that that's like something different because I also criticize this country. You know it quite a bit too. And I criticize Spain like quite a bit, but I'm still here. I'm still living here after 11 years. Yeah, no, I see what you say. I, I, I feel like he didn't really know what he was trying to say with this film. He was just critical of everything, and he wanted to like build this epic to his ego. And so we see him, and it's funny because the script is very self-referential. Self-referential. Yes, and. At some point in early in the film, they say, oh, how can you use historical characters to talk about who you are as a person? And then he and does, he does it. The last two movies. <laughs> and I feel like it's so self-aggrandizing that this conversation is beyond what it means to be Mexican and desperate for the approval of America. It just comes across as a little egotistical. Let me just ask you something. Don't haven't you considered that maybe most Mexicans are a bit like that? I mean, yes. I want to think better of the average Mexican. I don't want to think that they're desperate for the approval of any other country. I uh, yes, I don't know. 
I mean, but that's, imagine like a country that is that you have like very limited opportunities and if you are like the best of them, because it's like when we were talking like last week and you were saying, oh yeah, this is like the Cuaron movie and it's like, yeah, no, that's a different Mexican director and he's not Guillermo del Toro either. Is like the... Wait, did you reach out to Nacho Roma? No, he did not. He actually did Hellboy. I know he did not do okay. Hellboy. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm racist. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> But if you think about it, it's like all of these Mexican directors, you know, like really good Mexican directors, it's like the reason why people know about them is because they made it here. But why then, if if Inuritu is desperate for the Oscar, and let's not pretend... He already has two, you know? Obviously, yes. But then why would he try and shit on the approval that he so desperately seeks? Because it's the internal struggle. It's like he feels like somehow he's betraying, you know, like his own cultural heritage when he's selling himself. doesn't that make this incredibly banal? It's like, I... oh, yeah, you, you don't like Mexico, you don't like America, but you desperately want the Oscar. I, I, I don't know. This was three hours of watching him debate his ego. And, and that's not well but i don't I, well i mean you see like only him and what i feel and from talking with my boyfriend too is like i just felt it's like hey he's not only stopping at his you know and this makes it like even more epic in a scope is that he actually is trying to talk about like the relationship that there is between like mexico and the united states not from a political perspective but a bit more like how the people you know, like regular people are going to be seeing the United States about like, hey, if I make it there, is a like, I think that if I come back here, people are going to be like judging me because I'm selling myself. That is like instead of trying to elevate your country, you know, and your values, and just bringing your values to somewhere else, is that like you are doing movies there. You are actually just like doing what they want. Is so boring. Like, oh. You come from a country that you aren't proud of and you want to go to another country and get acclaim, but then you feel guilty about getting the acclaim in the other country. That's not an interesting story to talk about at all. I found it fascinating, dude. I find it like completely fascinating, but this may be like a bit of a difference because uh, I think that we discussed like several times and I'm sorry that I'm going to be like bringing this, but when we were talking about Tar, I was saying that is a, like, hey, I wish that the director was using the character for actually doing like a bit more of a larger scale kind of reflection. Or for example, in Aetonia that I mentioned like multiple times, it's like, hey, at the end is like, this is like a, a character that is just a single tone for just giving a story from the beginning to the end, instead of actually trying to do like a bit more of a reflection about a specific values of society or the world in general. And I feel like this movie is like the story of the character per se, I didn't really care if he was going to be like surviving to get the award or not. What I wanted to hear is like more about like this kind of internal struggle that most people actually have and just reflecting. And it may be like super heavy handed and super like metaphorical to a point that if it was in Averman, I would be like complaining a lot about, but like the conversation with Hernan Cortez, <laughs> it was- this film. Yeah. Well, is the... If it was in Come on, is the dude like the conversation with Hernan Cortez? You know, it almost feels like the uh, like the soldier playing chess. Fuck with the you death. in your video. Fuck you for being <laughs> so pretentious. But honestly, for me, this landed when it actually was. There were like so many scenes that like, when they are like letting the uh, the asses of the baby 
like going into the uh, into the beach and they cry like about like moving on and letting go and then you see like the fetus moving you know and no, the, the way they handled that baby and the death of the child who lived 30 hours that was super touching it was yeah. super touching okay can't that at all. yeah i mean i broke down at that point it was like Fuck you. I know that you're like playing all the strings, you know, it's like I know how you are like just like trying to make it moving, but it's like I found it like along all the absurd stuff that we are seeing, all the pretentious stuff, all the kind of larger than life scale for some of these topics is that they have like the room for actually getting like this moment of and sometimes you need to move on. That one storyline did feel very authentic and it felt like him trying to deal with the super traumatic experience that he had and i thought okay i'm willing to go on this journey with him and try and deal with this death like i respect that the rest of it was patriotic bullshit and i don't like patriotism in any form whether it's for america or for any other country i i just felt so disgusted with how obsessed he was with mexico i was like Nobody should be that concerned about their country. It's like, um, it's like if you're saying, "Oh, I was I was born in this pot and not that pot," when you were placed in like, I, no, I just can't handle it. No. Okay. Okay. Look, that's absolutely fine. But it's like you have to think that also like for someone that moves it's not so much about like just being patriotic it's something that you think about i think a lot about like when i go back to spain i don't really feel like a spaniard because i spent like more than my last 10 years of my life on this reality in the united states but it doesn't matter that it has been like more than 10 years is that i don't feel an american either because I was not born here, I was not raised here, I didn't go like through many stages of my life here. I may be able to have a successful career here, but I'm not an American. And that doesn't, that wouldn't change even if I had a passport. I would never feel like 100% from here. Did I understand you correctly when you said you don't feel Spanish? I don't feel like 100% like an Spaniard anymore. I feel a bit out of place because I didn't, I haven't gone like through the realities of the country in the last 10 years. I didn't have to so put up I... with some of the bad stuff that it happened or the good stuff that it happened. I wasn't there. So for me, it's like, I'm a tourist. Even if I go back like multiple times a year, it's like, you don't live there. So I can respect that. I understand that like some people, especially people like you, uh, they don't have a home country. I mean, you do have a home country, but you feel like you don't, you don't have a nationality. Yeah. Um, what I don't accept is the self-indulgence of this film. <laughs> dedication two hours and 40 minutes to a director's ego. You can explore like not feeling like you have a home, like not feeling like you have a home country, but no, this was pure self-indulgence for two hours and 40 minutes. And I'm not saying there weren't moments of brilliance because there were absolutely moments of brilliance where I was like, holy shit, this guy is the Mexican uh, Charlie Kaufman. The, the script was so self-referential that it was like pleasurable at times to see where the script was going. But at the, at the end of the day, it did not require two hours and 40 minutes, not at all. Honestly, I 
don't agree with that. I already told you. It's like for me, it's true. It's self self indulgent. It's like I'm not going to be like denying it. For me, the only part that it was like a bit long is like when all the twists and turns are put on the table, and it still has like twenty more minutes. For an hour and twenty minutes. No, it's like the last twenty minutes. It's like, dude, yes, we already knew that you were going to be like landing here. It's like, why do you need? more is that what is the point of actually needing like more it's more like recreating yourself in these deserts you know and just like seeing him walking around and it's the guy that's fine is that we already know everything at this point you're not going to be laboring anything else just theater of the absurd did you enjoy the conversation he had on the roof at the, the party that the mexican journalists held for him yes i think it was louise louise yeah because that actually represents again like the kind of dichotomy of uh, what do you do for actually like succeeding. Yeah, for me that conversation was everything Inuritu wanted to consider in this film. It was both sides of his ego. Uh, he declared himself an intellectual, where Louise was like, um, "No, you're super self-indulgent, and your work is a piece of shit." I feel like that conversation was exactly what was in in Rito's head. Are you think that there was nothing else to the movie? No, like I said, there were there were moments of pure brilliance. Like honestly, in fact, as I left the theater, I told my husband, "What a pretentious piece of shit!" And it's such a pity because there were moments that I was like awe-inspired, genuinely awe-inspired. Uh, but I think he was way, way, way too self-indulgent with this with this film. I I don't disagree about that part. As I told you, if he's pretentious, yes. Uh, if he has problems, the length definitely. But I it's one of those things that we have discussed like multiple times. That depending if a movie lands for you or not, is that you can not ignore, but you can look beyond like those problems and not only fixating it there. Is that for me? Is that this resonated? You know, like given my experience also as an immigrant, is like I resonate with pieces of that. Then, from a cultural perspective, is I, I I'm not an expert in Mexican culture, but my boyfriend actually told me is that you know like way more than the average American person you know about like Mexican culture. He didn't have the parties like yeah, you guys destroy this country, you know, destroy this territory. But uh, <clears throat> from that perspective, is like I. And I've been I visited like multiple times, so for me it's like I could understand like the tricky spot, like the tricky dance, the tricky kind of I want more. But if I want more, am I am I betraying this or not? Is it should I like try to adapt my reality to the reality that I'm being sold that is supposed to be superior to mine, or should I be like ignoring it altogether? Should I be like just criticizing what I left behind, or should it be only like you know, how do you say, like, uh, rising it or, you know, like, uh, uh, sweetening it, like the perspective that I had over it. But as a film critic, a film can resonate with you, and clearly this touched on yeah. some themes that you identify with, but do you think it was a good film? Two things. The first one, 
we I don't know if we should qualify ourselves as film critics. <laughs> Not sure. We are, we are film <laughs> critics. Admit it. Okay, sure. Uh, it, honestly, I will give it, you know, like with a caveat. I think that is a, this is a movie that if it resonates with you, is that I felt super moved. Like moving away that no other movie that we have watched in a very long time moved me. Including Tar? Especially Tar. Is that because multiple times... You are times... dead inside. You are no, dead inside. dude. No, it's, it's what I was telling you. Is that the problem that I had with Tar is that the, the character, it was just like a single tone. It was like just created for... It's like, hey, this I want to make a case about cancel culture. And this character was created for this. It's like in this case, I just felt it's like, hey, this character was giving like some specific stories. Like, for example, like the baby you know, or other ones inside of the movie that is a, I think that they serve the character for actually developing into a whole human being. And then at the same time, he was capable of using it for just expressing like a bit more of the reality of Mexicans versus the United States. I have so many questions. So like leaving Tar, you felt like it wasn't that interesting. And watching Bardo, you're like, oh wow. Let me just tell you, look, look, if I if I look at these movies, you know, like objectively, I would say like the crafting of Tar is superior to this. Okay. Like I I wouldn't say like vastly superior, you know, compared to Bardo. I would think I would think that it's like hey, Tar is like way better crafted than this. Is that he actually did like an insane amount of study, you know, and he has like a visual language that feel that is impeccable in Tar. From a crafting perspective, I think that is like one of the best movies in some time. From I a crafting just perspective. I just want to point out right now that Tar is a New York Times critic picked and uh, Bardo is not. So <laughs> take that for whatever. So you're telling me that this is Ward and the guest? <laughs> I mean, Tar and the guest are about the same. Okay, okay. <laughs> Oh, the pantheon of the good movies, of the good craft and good taste. Um, no, but I still accept that is like Tar is better crafted as a movie. Now, I feel like Bardo has a genesis quoi that, and I'm going to be like saying this, and probably going, you're going to be like wanting to just like end the call right now, but I just feel like this is a movie that it could only have happened thanks to having like a streaming platform like Netflix that is desperate for just having like a big movie with a big name attached to them. And just like giving them like a blank Mario. check about like, yeah, is like, just do whatever the fuck you want. No, I mean, there's a place of, so Bardo was a good film. It's just a good film. It's self-indulgent in my opinion. There are many, many, many problems. Um, but like I said, there are moments of, of brilliance. Like, really, honestly, as I was watching this film, I thought, this guy should write a fucking novel. I would love to read a novel written by Inuritu because he he understands his characters and what, what he wants you to experience. And I was like, I would read a book by him. This film has a shit ton of problems. And... I'm not telling you that it's perfect. Honestly, that's the reason no, what I'm telling you. It's like Tar is is way better crafted than this. There is no competition here. 
honestly. Yeah, no, I'm not comparing it to Tar. I just feel like Inuritu is so obnoxiously talented that this should have been a better film. And I wanted it to be a better film, and it wasn't. Am I like sad that I saw it? No, I'm super happy I saw it, but that doesn't mean there aren't issues. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not saying that this is perfect either, and we will go like into detail later on the questions because there are things that I feel is like this could have been even better for me. You know, for me, it's, it's a really good movie because I connected emotionally with it. But would you say that this is your least favorite Inyaritu movie? <laughs> no, nothing can top the piece of shit that beautiful was. <laughs> <laughs> I like that we are on the same page there. Uh, but I definitely Babel it left me like a bit cold when I watch it I feel it's like yeah eh. it's too clinical it doesn't make me feel anything I didn't care about any of the characters this is like top shelf for Inuritu for me like yeah. this is compelling problematic and compelling yeah I mean I just felt like this was bold the same way that Tar is also like pretty bold yeah, but it's like both for different reasons. You know, that's the reason what I'm saying is like this was this only got to happen similar to how Mank two years ago came to happen. That is like Fincher had been like just trying to do that movie for a very long time, and then Netflix was like, "Do you want a blank check?" And it's like only if I can do Mank, and it's just let's see what happens here. Yeah, go ahead, yeah. yeah. But in this case, I think that it actually landed in a way better spot. I can tell you, I'm watching like this Guillermo del Toro show that Netflix has right now, lately. We haven't are. even talked about this. I'm watching it as well. And it's, it's, it's a pretty clear case that it's like they also gave him like a blank check about like, hey, you know, you can just do that your own Twilight Zone, Hisco present kind of thing, you know, you can just like go around the world, like just hire like B-tier sci-fi directors that they were popular 20 years ago because they did like a good movie. Yeah, it's like just that they're like cool friends with you, you know. Uh, and the end result is, I don't know, we only watched like a second episode and like, this, like the first and the second episode after like the second episode we're like, maybe, maybe you're going to stop watching this, you know? So yeah, there's... It's, it's like a 50-50 Yeah, and yeah, on the hits are more like a, a slap, you know, like a wet slap, more than actually like a real hit, you know? So, but it's a bit more about like the results of when they use like a popular name and they actually give him like complete creative freedom. It's like you can have something like this, or you can have something like Mank or the Irishman. That is like, is this really necessary? It's like, what is this bringing to the table? I think that Bardo brings something to the table. I agree. Bardo definitely brings something to the table, one hundred percent. You may like it more or less, but it's like it's something. No, no, no. <laughs> I. Like I keep saying, like there were moments of genuine genius yeah. in this film. Like genuine genius, I was awe-inspired. I thought Charlie Kaufman is jerking himself off <laughs> watching this film. Um, oh god! Imagine like an Inyari. It was too much. So yeah, imagine like an Inyari to directed movie written by Kaufman. Getting hard right now. <laughs> I mean, I think that uh, both they have like a bit like the problem is like uh, Inyaritu, he worked with the same, I don't remember like the, the, the screenplay writer that he used to work with, but uh, Amores Perros, 21 Grams, and Babel, they are written by the same person. 
and then he tried to do beautiful by himself with this with the uh, yeah and uh, it was like yeah this no this is harder than it looks it's like you can try to do like another cross story thing you know and see where it I lands beautiful i could have written it <laughs> <laughs> i don't know dude i think that we could have done better uh and I think that at this point, it's like he has tried to prove himself that he can just write like a good screenplay, you know. So after Berman, I think that there is no turning back. It's like, yep, yeah, he's going to be like, keep writing every single movie he directs. Also, I felt like he was a little too eager to show that he was Fellini with the big breasts and the, the TV sets. And the first 20 minutes, I was like, fuck you, man. Fuck you. <laughs> No, definitely, definitely he knows about cinema, you know, and he can actually use like that kind of resources. I mean, it, it was really well done, honestly, from a directing perspective. I like the long takes that he took. I like, like all the sets that he used. I like, you know, it's like, because he tries to display like Mexican reality from time to time, like the dance uh, salon where they're in. And you see like the people like sitting down on the sides, like more poor people, but the ones that they are like sitting on the front, they are like the rich cultural friends that he has, you know. Just from a technical perspective, do you think those long shots were real? And I only asked that because in Birdman they were all fake. That's the only reason I ask. I mean, maybe they were real. I don't know. There was a point that I was wondering the same when they were on the TV set, you know, and the camera was like just following all around. There were a couple of times that it reminded me to uh, The Rope by his cook. That is, a, it's supposed to be a single long take, but there are like a couple of points that the camera just like goes to a corner. And now like, with the oh, yeah. yeah yeah and it's like, there is like a you know like an edit like a frame that you can actually feel is like, oh there was a cat here definitely but back then it's like probably people would be like no you know it's like just for rearranging the actors in the room but nowadays the standards is like we are like way more our eyes so we're more well trained for actually detecting that kind of imagery and I think that there are a couple of points where the camera fixates in something a bit random on the TV set even if it's in movement that it would be like pretty easy for us to like just editing you know like the other part so I mean he's clearly a talented filmmaker but because of Birdman I was like are these really long shots <laughs> no. I don't know dude I, I think that even if they are not I would take it you know, I think that is not only long takes is are not only for showing the proudness, you know, of the director about like like the, the big size. It's not about like just putting the dick on the table and saying like I can do it, do it. To differ. The what sorry? Steve McQueen begs to differ. Okay. <laughs> Okay, but that's, you know, the, the, the long taking hunger is still like pretty impressive, so especially when you know about like all of the effort that it took into that. In this case, it's a bit more about like coordination. It's similar to the, uh, the Russian arc. That is, a, yeah, it's, it's hard to pull off one of those things, but it gets to a point that you feel is like, what is it adding? Besides, like, hey, it looks cool, and you know, like, most of the critics are going to be saying it's like, hey, it's a technical achievement, you know. Similar, I love the uh, long taking, uh, long day's journey in tonight. That is half of the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. And, it's like, and that one is not perfect, and they don't try to go to technical, you know, like, oh my god, 
but it helps adding into how surreal everything feel. Maybe just yep. a single thing. In this case, it's interesting. If they are great, if they are not fine, in Berman was a bit more like even if they are like faked or you know like forced, it's like it's about like just conveying that feeling of friendliness. That is like you have like about it, you have like a deadline for opening and everything is in movement all the time and everything is frantic and everything has to keep going. So I think that is still fine if they are like fake. It's not that he's like just the tagline of the movie is like you will be mind blown by the long takes. Yeah, I mean there's like the the film nerd aspect of like, oh my god, this is a 17 minute shot, and then there's like <laughs> the experience of of consuming the movie, right? And uh the way we consume Bardo, it's pretty powerful. Yeah, it's powerful, but I don't think that is like a make or break kind of thing, the long takes. I think that there is like enough in other aspects of the movie that if the long takes were like a bit fake, is that I would still be okay with it. Yeah, I mean, this film was awful, but uh, I would agree that... <laughs> no, that was, a, that was a complete joke. Um, the film is strong enough without gimmicks like long takes, is what I was trying to say. Yeah, and uh, something else that I was also telling my boyfriend when we finished is that hey, I love the use of magic realism, given that it's like, such an important literary movement in all Latin America, and it's like how it gets actually like into the story. Is that like, of course you know that into this that this is dreams, you know, because it's not only about like a bit surreal. It's like it's full on like fucking surreal when he's on the uh, on the subway and the feces like run away and everything like gets full of water i think that is even on the trailer so it's like yeah definitely there's like some kind of dream or hallucination but when he asked the uh, the friend about like and i don't want to talk with you anymore <laughs> and he started like screaming to his face or there like several times even like with the daughter like goes into the dance floor and start like dancing with her with him and start like oh I think that you're going to love this song and she just claps and the movie change and the song change is that that kind of I don't know like disconnect from the reality like just turning it into a bit more of surreal and absurd I think that it works great and I think there is a connection into the one of the cultural kind of movements that they had there so it was interesting that uh we don't often discuss films before the podcast, but you messaged me and you were like, um, what's, what's like your, your score? Oh, I was not hesitant. I was like a bit pissed. I wanted to actually just know like how prepared should I come to this podcast <laughs> after you asking me the same with Tar when I was done but with But because it. I thought we were going to cancel the Tar podcast. That's why I was like, I can't wait two weeks to find out what you thought of this perfect film. <laughs> I decided to use my car, you know? <laughs> it's like, okay, he gave me a car with her. I'm going to be using it right now. Because, because I felt that it's like, you were not too excited about it, about your message when I was like, hey, I'm about to watch it. It's like, good luck. Like, well, clearly he didn't like it too much. Because it's three hours, three hours. <laughs> and it's not tar, it's not tar. It's not that compelling. <laughs> no, it, it was a good film, I mean, I don't know how I'm going to score this, but it was a good film. Okay. Should we go over the questions? Let's do it. All right. Uh, well, first, let me ask you something. What did you think of the uh, of the cast? 
I think the cast was excellent. I mean, it's mostly the the main characters, Silverio, um, but his wife, his kids were they were all very good. Um, yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, usually I don't like kids, and I like bottle them like what a bit. And you can actually see like the dichotomy that we were saying about like you are proud of your heritage or you're like a bit the same and you want to move on from the life of these two kids. Like what do they decide to do with their lives? About like the kid is like, hey, I'm going to be like speaking in in, in English because it's what I'm used to. Is that don't bring me like this kind of uh, you have to be more proud about your heritage. When he's trying to convince him about like, hey, we are in Mexico, you have to speak Spanish. And then the daughter, what the daughter says about like, hey, I think that I want to leave my job and just come back to Mexico, live in Mexico City. And he's trying to almost talk her out of that. I have to say, as an ugly American, I was so annoyed with him, like, shitting on America while being so proud that his daughter was working in Boston in a very nice job. And I was like, what trying to say like, dude you, honestly you hate every you hate mexico you hate america you hate that you need america's approval i i, I don't know but, what Go but ahead. that that incongruence that incongruence i think that is like what is the magical thing here you know i know that for you maybe like dude this is dumb you know but for me it's like i partially understand that you know it's like i we have like a similar thing and for them they have like that thing too but okay we're getting into weird territory here but like if you want your kids to go to a safe wealthy environment wouldn't you not criticize that environment i found his criticism of america and mexico so boring it's like he's like every uber driver i have in san francisco <laughs> they hate america life was much better but they go know, back. syria where they come from and i, I I don't know. It's not interesting at all. I personally find it like super interesting because it's, it's a bit deeper, you know, than the average super conversation. You know, they get a bit more into culture, you know, they get a bit into heritage and reality of just living there. Sometimes a bit more about like just notes, like small notes, and other times like just digging a bit deeper into it in a bit more of a epic manner, like the conversation with Hernan Cortez. I can see that, and I've only been an expat a couple times in my life, and mm, well, it was in it Russia. Was, so. It was in Russia, <laughs> you know. It's like, probably you don't want the you don't want the approval. You don't want the approval of Russia, honestly. No, no, no one was that. Horrible. You know, it's more like a you have you are sold by media and by many other kind of influences about like how awesome you know, like the United States are. And he's like, I don't want to use Aaron Sorkin, you know, for this, but the opening a scene, the opening a scene of uh, the newsroom, I honestly think that is like one of the best things that Sorkin did. <laughs> I'm sorry for saying that, but it's like, I think that it's like, watch it. <laughs> yeah, but it's a good kind of sentence about like, hey, I don't think that this is the best country in the world, but it could be, it has the potential and it's amazing, but it also it can be frustrating when you actually arrive here and you're expecting to actually leave this kind of perfect image that it actually gets like transmitted to the outside world. And you realize that it's not only that, it's not a perfection. 
Yeah, I think, and again, speaking as an ugly American, I understand that I'm not the best person to speak about this. Nobody is obsessed with their countries as much as other people are. I don't go to a different country and think, oh, how does America compare to Italy or Spain? Like that's only other countries. They're so obsessed with who they are and their countries. You don't, you don't. But the average American, they are trained since they are little for actually being as patriotic as they can be. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm super embarrassed by the people who chant USA, USA. I get it. I, yeah. I just have that. Story. You don't. And that's great. That's amazing, too. It's like I was not trained for actually loving Spain. You know, I love it, but I also know that it has like a lot of problems. And not like on every single second, like comparing everything to Spain. Maybe I do, you know, but it's not from the perspective. It's like, oh, this is so amazing in Spain, and here it's like completely fucked up. There are things here that they are like vastly superior to it, and there are things that they are like vastly superior in Spain. It's just the reality. What I'm saying is that exploring that in film is not interesting to me. For me, it is because it actually resonates with a bit of a, what is the reality of when you move, when your whole life. It's like already set up because when you were living in Russia, how old were you? If you don't mind sharing it. The first time I was 19. And then you were like just pretty young still. And it was not a baby. I mean, you're still a baby, let's be honest. Uh... I am 38, Jose. I am 38. <laughs> I live half my life. Acknowledge me as an adult. <laughs> you are looking. You're looking for approval right now. Uh, but it's, it was always like a limited time engagement, you know? is different than this person that he has been living here for 20 years. And he's like, this is the reality, but it's still not his home. And it cannot be his home. Yeah, and I acknowledge that, like, for you, who is an expat, it's it's very different. We just have different life experiences. Yeah, but what it feels is like, I, and maybe you know this a bit more on me, I'm talking with my boyfriend, that's, you know, he actually grew like between Tijuana and Santiago is like I think that uh, he could resonate with this story you know and I don't know if someone that is not an expat at all he could actually resonate or not I thought they could that was the reason why I was impressed about like oh he didn't like it at all you know when you gave me like your range of the score I was like wow that's like a pretty low mean for the score and a pretty I high here with you my range i was like no i can tell he likes it <laughs> uh but for me or sometimes we actually talk about like hey, if a movie relies too much on the cultural aspects of the country and it cannot translate it into human realities it's not a good movie for me i think that this movie can translate like the local realities to messages that they can be processed can I ask if your boyfriend identifies as an expat? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't think that we talk about it directly, but I'm pretty sure that he does. No, it's interesting, just me being born in America and here my entire life, you being an immigrant from uh, uh, Europe, him coming from Mexico. Yeah, different perspectives. Yeah, but uh, 
I mean, I don't know. There would be like other people, other countries, you know, that, for example, like maybe someone from London could read this reality in a completely different way. But they're in a similar kind of situation from the perspective that the relationship between UK and the United States. I feel like it's an interesting topic to explore, you know, and it's true. It's like it's very self-gratifying, you know, like the part about like just being crucified, like Jesus, it was like certainly was a bit of a... I have not audibly groaned in a movie theater in a long time. And when that happened, I was like, oh, are you fucking kidding? Yeah. Yeah, that part. and I think that he actually, he looks at a point to his feet and he has like those, the bones. He has the... Uh, the stigmata. The yeah. Oh, God. No. Yeah. But yeah, I... It's not without its problems. I think that people can resonate with the topic without having to be an expat or having to be from Mexico. No, I agree. There's there's food for thought here, for sure. Yeah. Did you did you like Amores Perros? We actually, I don't know if we recorded for the podcast. I think we did. It was brutal. It was super intense and it had dog violence, which makes me super sad. Yeah. Um, but I liked it as far as I can recall. Yeah, I think that we both like it. It's, yeah, um, and that was like most. I mean, it was like set up setting uh, Mexico City too, if I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah, so, it was. And it was like a bit more of a grimmer version of Mexico City. Here is a bit more of a contained perspective. Yeah, that film was super intense. Yeah. Well, Oh, yeah. I had to make sure none of the dogs were harmed. None of them were. <laughs> oh, that's right. They had like a sign at the end that they were not yeah. hurt. Yeah, yeah. They would have been like pretty terrible if they had they had been. Probably they dragged them in any case. They said they had um, masks on them. Anyway, this is not about Amoris Paris, but they said no dogs were harmed. So I was okay. That's, that's the important takeaway for that yes. movie. <laughs> uh... Then let's go over the questions. Would you watch it again? That's a tough question. I, I think the answer is yes, but like in five years, yes, I would watch it again. I think that I'm going to be like already answering the next one along this, but I think that I'm going to be like watching it during Christmas with my parents. Fuck you, man. Fuck you. <laughs> So that means that I will, rec- I will recommend it to my parents. Yeah, I, I don't think that there is anything wrong here. And I would be like really curious about hearing like their perspective as the parents of someone that is an expat. If they would be like just trying to project that reality towards like what may be my internal feeling about my situation. Honestly, so I, I have my issues with this film, but I do feel like it's an interesting litmus test for expats, non-expats to like, it does raise a lot of questions. And I think yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, and I think that it's not only about expats. I think that it's also about like the reality of the culture, the Mexican culture, like just being influenced by the American one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, would you recommend it? No. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine a situation where I was like, oh, you should see Bardo. Bardo or the non karamas <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I would definitely recommend it, you know, not only to my parents, but I had the feeling that it would be like from 
this season, you know, like when people ask me, it's like, hey, tell me a good movie that you watched last year. Probably I will mention Tar, I will mention Triangle of Sadness, and I will mention this one too. But give me the order of those three films. <laughs> what What's the best one? But then I will be like giving away a bit the score. All right, that's fine. <laughs> you that's, know it's Tar. I... <laughs> no, it wouldn't be Tar. Well, depending on the person I may go with Tar, you know. The Triangle there... of Sadness is absolutely number three. <laughs> Dude, there is, I mean, I'm going to have like a hard time recommending that movie, sorry, a bit of spoiler alert, with the Volta scene. <laughs> with that dinner scene, is that I have, I would be like just biting my tongue about like, do I recommend this? Like, do I know no, enough about this person? I mean, because it's like the kind of thing that it can be like a friendship destroyer if you recommend it to the wrong person. <laughs> There's no way of backing up from this. Like, oh, I didn't yeah, know no. that you didn't like humor getting both. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It requires like a specific sensibility, you know, because I feel like the rest of the movie is very ironic, a bit elevated, you know, but it's like. But not that 20 minutes. <laughs> no, that's 20 minutes. There is no need for it to be 20 minutes, but they were. Uh, in any case, this I think that is like easier to recommend, you know. And Tar is also easier to recommend. I think that I will go like with these two before Triangle of Sunrise. And probably depending on the person, I will go with this before Tar. <gasps> I think that is more thought provoking. I'm sorry. Let's just continue on with the question. <laughs> Could you remember it? Um, yes. I so it's it's a very complex script, very complex. Um, so I'm not going to remember the details, but I'll remember the overall story. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. I would recommend. I will remember it too. Do you know that Bardo? What it means? Yes, in Tibetan mythology, it's like limbo, right? Correct. But also in Spanish, Bardo, you know that. That is a like someone that Pablo just tells a story. So my husband told me that it's, it's in Argentina, it's a slang for a lie. Oh, gotcha. In Spain, it's actually another name for the trovador. Oh, so really? someone that tells stories. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Interesting. And he's. And that was like a part that it was like also interesting. I mean, I love that aspect of it. You know how I feel about documentaries. That I feel like they are not love so that. much... They are not so much about telling the truth. And they're a bit more about like telling the perspective of someone. And I think that the song calls him out on that. And he's like, no, 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 no. I was just there and they told me like super interesting stuff, you know, and things happen. He's like, I'm just a bagel here. It's like... Weren't you manipulating a bit, like, what it was the reality with whatever you actually wanted to show, you know? That is, like, a bit what a bardo could do. Oh, interesting. So he's he's Mexican, right? I don't want to be racist. Who? And assume that Pinarito is Mexican. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm curious to know what bardo has in terms of, like, the Mexican meaning. Because uh... you gave me this... Spanish influence and the Argent uh, the Argentinian influence, but what is it? Not the Mexican. I'm not sure. I guess my boyfriend and he look it up. So uh, it may not be a very commonly used word, or maybe it has like this historic context, you know, that in Spain, you know, like Bardo is um, 
a word that I know, but it's not a, a word that we actually use. Like every day, we use a troubadour like more often. I feel more than bardo, but they're synonyms. Uh, is there anything artistic about it? Yes, I mean, I was super frustrated at how smart the script was. Uh, the guy's a genius. Like, seriously, he's a genius. The yep. film didn't work for me, but he's super, super smart. Yeah, he's like a he's like a gothic cathedral. In the script. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> about like how what I imagine Barcelona is. <laughs> 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 How many times have you been there? Never. <laughs> it's a setup. <laughs> you saw it in Vicky Cristina Barcelona and beautiful. I did, yes. Vicky uh, <laughs> Cristina Barcelona is the only time I've been to Barcelona. You <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you are like verbally aggressing me, you know, <laughs> aggrading me. You're attacking me right no, now. I, I feel hurt. <laughs> Uh, sorry, uh, you were saying like uh, artistic about it. Yeah, I I think that one thing about like the script is that she started with these scripts that it was about like, hey, I want to have like four different stories that they're intertwined with each other and blah blah blah. And uh, he moved with Berman, the Revenant, into Ambardo. Like it's a single story. It may have like different people that they influence on this story, but it's a single story. And I felt that he actually transferred the complexity that he used to have like with multiple like parallel stories into having like complexity for the main character and i feel like that's pretty awesome about like how it actually works how it actually makes more i don't know like uh, complex characters i can see that yeah but they feel believable Honestly, I mean, I feel like, is like this main character is like from my perspective, and if it resonates with you or not, is like you understand like the kind of complexities his life had for actually getting to this point. No, the characters felt very real, very real. Do you know a movie that I thought a lot while I was watching this one that I think that you really like way more than this? Pain and Glory. We should record about no, it one day. No, no, Pen and Glory. Well, let's finish the questions. Pen and Glory <laughs> is like light years ahead of this film. That's all I'm going to say. I think that Pen and Glory is a bit more. It's a bit more less ambitious, let's just say. It's a bit more about like. Less no, no, no. Well, less ambitious from the perspective that Almodovar doesn't want to tell like a larger tale and talking about like relationship between like different cultures or anything like that. He wants to talk about him and about like feeling like my career is over. And I don't think it's for like Except Inuritu was like, I'm going to expose myself and talk about myself for two hours and 40 minutes where... No. I don't think, I don't think that in any second of his life, Inuritu thinks that his career is like almost over. I feel like after he made this film, he will not be welcomed back to the Oscars ever again. <laughs> so no, he knows his career is over. Honestly, I think that this is going to be nominated as I mean, it's actually is uh, Mexican, so is nomin is going to be like the one that Mexico presents for the Oscars. 
as a fourth hole. Do you really think that he can do a fuck you to the Oscars and then be welcomed back at the Oscars? I don't honestly don't think that he's doing like a full fuck you. He's just I, saying I, I, about like how how conflicted he feels about something like this. And no, he never no, said that it's, it's himself. Not about, it's not about being conflicted because he shows Mexico and then like a good light and a bad light, but he never shows any part of America that's positive at all. Oh he no 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 America for two hours. No, 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 sorry. But it's that when he's actually one example and you heard it up earlier, is when he talks with the daughter and he tells him he's like, hey, and the kind of freedom that you have for doing whatever you want, not having to be worried, being able to walk, you know, at night by yourself is are you going to be like trading all of that? just for your cultural heritage and it's like well but it can be safe here it's like yeah in a gated community is that what you want because that's not what i want all right all right that's fair yeah uh is this a timeless piece yes 100 i feel like it's 2050 years i was born in 2022 no i wasn't born that's a joke (laughs) Uh, I was actually I just, super compelled by this. Like, I couldn't believe how quickly two hours and 40 minutes went by. Yeah. Yeah, my problem was the last part, but it's like beyond that is... I agree that this is timeless. It's true that it represents a bit more about, like, the tension between them. It's like it has this kind of lofty ambition about, like, portraying, like, this struggle that maybe 40 years in the future is different. But I had the feeling that it's going to be the same. That is like Mexico is going to still be at the saddle of the United States. And America will still be the problematic piece of shit it is today. Eh. <laughs> I always look, once again, I don't shirking. The United States may not be the best country in the world, but it has the I potential to be. The <laughs> I've really lost respect for you at the number of times you've mentioned Aaron Sorkin on the podcast, but it's fine. Whatever. <laughs> sure. Uh, could you turn this into a TV show? Honestly, I think it could be a super compelling miniseries, yeah? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I No, I, I, I see the point of all of this being compelling, but... Unless you're going to be like going with a different spot on his life and he going like through it, is like I don't think that you could actually split like these five days or ten days of his life in a way that it would actually work if it's not like back to back. Think about like the transition from the uh, dance hall, the California dance hall in uh, Mexico City, how he sees his father in the restroom. Fuck that scene, man. Jesus Christ. That's one of the problematic scenes for me. Why? I mean, I, I what you say, but I, I do feel like they could easily they could easily make six hours about this. Oh no, definitely. <laughs> Naruto, you let him you let him run free, it's like he would definitely do it, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think I'm not sure that it will add like way more. Or if actually like, just dividing this, you know, and just say I come back next week for another dose of this, it will actually work with the emotional impact that you have of just having this kind of quick 
quick and not so quick succession of different scenes. I don't think that it would make the the piece greater or not great, but mm. but I think in your redo could have achieved the same thing in a mini series that he did in the film. Okay, not as completely fair. Could this have been a sort? No, <laughs> absolutely not. There's no way to worship in your redo's ego <laughs> unless. Two hours forty minutes. <laughs> How long was Berman? Too long. That's all I know. Seriously? Ah, uh, let me just check. No, I'm curious. Oh, two hours. Short. Oh, that's not... Short for the for the Revenant. The Revenant, two hours and thirty-six minutes, and yeah. that one was long. Like was really. Long and it felt like really long, and I wanted it to be over. It's a good movie, but it's a movie that it's I don't want to long. watch again. Yeah, it can be good and too long at the same time. Yeah. Uh, do you think that this movie could have been better? One hundred percent. I mean, just take this guy's ego away from the script, and it would have been way better. But do you think that you will have the same movie? No, oh, fuck you. No. No, but oh, come on. This film is so self-indulgent. It's so self-indulgent. I don't I, look. I'm not denying that. What I'm saying is, like, for me, it works because of the combination of all the different flows or not flows that he has. And it's like being so. Did you find it a little frustrating that he was literally masturbating on screen for three hours? Don't, don't, don't be all millennial on me. He was not literally masturbating on the screen. This was not a Lars von Trier movie, okay? <laughs> I wish it was a Lars von Trier <laughs> I feel like he was not manipulating us as much as Lars von Trier right. would. But uh, I understand what you mean. But for me, it's like, of course, it's like from the first three minutes and you see it's like, oh, he's a filmmaker, a Mexican filmmaker that he made it big in the States. He's like, yeah, this... This is a This, yeah. yeah. You can yeah, say that it's a journalism. There was never any, like, actual uh, pretending that this wasn't about the Oscars and about his conflict about the <laughs> Oscar. <laughs> it was <laughs> so expected. <laughs> you think that it's like basically he wants you to read, to read it like a bit more literal and just saying that it's like, hey, part of me, part of who I am, it actually died when I went to the States and I took one of the Oscars. I mean, that's exactly what it was. But he desperately wants an Oscar. He just doesn't like that he desperately wants an Oscar. And so, well, uh, okay. what about that he never writes the dialogue? The dialogue in the film? Yeah, well, he never, no, he never writes like the acceptance speech. Sorry. I don't understand the question. If you think that there is something behind that the character never gets to write, oh, that's the same right. speech. Yeah, I think. Um, no, I genuinely I don't think he can admit to himself how much he wants the American award. But at the same time, so much. But at the same time, how bad he feels about getting it. Once again, like the contradiction. I mean, he made himself have a stroke. So we know he couldn't accept it. 
<laughs> well, I don't, we don't know if he's self-provoked. I didn't go into that read. <laughs> no, he was just trying to make amends, you know, like with his kids and everything. Yeah, and he really wanted to ride the LA metro system. And, and that's what you get. It was like, so horrible to ride public transportation that he died. I have to say that I actually took that metro exactly on that station, on the central station in LA. Really? Like yeah. the actual station? Oh god. Yeah. When the doors opened, they, hey, I've, been, I've been fucking there. Yeah, that's that's true. That exists. <laughs> there are like two or three lines. I don't remember like how many were there when I visit. And he said, yep, that, that's true. That exists from Santa Monica to LA. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it made total sense to me as an American. I was like, yeah, that's public transportation in America. Yep. People die and no one helps. Yep. <laughs> and there's a Mexican that will try and wake you up. That's it. <laughs> At the end of the line. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, from my perspective, I think that the movie could have been better, but a bit more about editing it down a tiny bit towards the end. I just feel it's like when you already made your point, you know, this last closer part is like, I don't know, it doesn't add like much. And I've already been here for two hours and 15 minutes. Can, can you let me go if you don't have anything else here? <laughs> but overall, it's like, I don't think that it really hits in a negative way, you know, like to the overall brothers. Yeah, I agree. But yeah. Uh, Suez Curtis? Let's do it. This was your pick, so it's. No, fine. it was your pick, so I have to score. Go ahead. <laughs> this is a score that one day I would like to revisit. You know, maybe if I, I, I want to watch this again in like five years and then reconnect with you and be like, what do you think? Because you think that we are no longer going to be friends after we score this. No, we're best friends. We're going to be friends forever. <laughs> I just want to like reevaluate our opinions in five years. Okay, no, that's fair. I'm going to be giving this, I know that it's a flow film, and I know that as you were saying, as film critics, it's like, I recognize its flows. For me, it works, and it was like super powerful. I'm going to score this with an eye. All right. I think my score, I've been going back and forth between a 6.5 and a 7. Based on our conversation, I'm going to give it a 7. You're welcome. Dude, you can give it whatever you wanted. You want to give no, it like the no, three? I'm, I'm going to give it a seven. I, for me, this was a very problematic film. It's super good in many aspects, but there are problems. Uh, there are problems, but there are problems in many movies. I mean, you also recognize that Tar had problems. No, Tar is perfect. Don't try and convince me otherwise. I had a feeling that 1,000 costumes disagree with you. <laughs> okay, the final 30 just, seconds of uh, work is a problem. <laughs> just leave it there. We don't have to spoil another movies, you know, another podcast. Uh, cool. So, this was it for far, for Bardo Falls Chronicle of a Handful of Truths. Thank you for acknowledging <laughs> Title. <laughs> I mean, it's because I have it in front of me, so I can read it. Otherwise, I will forget, yeah, I forget about it. Yeah. Uh, so, as this was our pick for the next one, I think that this podcast may come. The next one may come out like around Christmas. So, I think that we should actually just like go back to just talk about like Christmas movies. We have done it in the past with some bonus episodes. 
Ada Christmas The one that you like Christmas The Christmas tale? Tale, yeah uh, So This is a bit more Like less conventional But I always found funny How people usually Include it in the best Christmas movies That's a Christmas film <laughs> And I watched it When I was little Like the first time And I watched it A couple of times Afterwards But I Haven't watched it In a very Very long time I always Felt like This is I don't want to use the word elevated from this context. This is really good action <laughs> movies. So we're going to be watching and talking about Die Hard. All right, I'm on board. Oh, did you hear, probably I will forget, or I will repeat it on the next, on the next podcast, but did you hear that uh, Bruce Willis has become like the first actor to send, sorry, to sell the rights for using his image in uh, any kind of movies in the future? What? You know, like all of this polemic that started like some years ago when Disney and other companies, they started using like techniques for just replicating like the looks of a specific actors when they were younger. And he sold the rights to his... My God. <laughs> my God. Yeah, it's, it's the beginning of the end, dude. Or not. I mean, that's the good thing, because it's like this actually just like discards a bit what is the star power. If they're never going to us, they're going to be like remaining like this forever. I mean, if any celebrity was going to do that, I would support Bruce Willis. But this feels like the beginning of the end. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about like the beginning of the end. Uh, anything else? that you want to say as a closing thought? Nothing. Just wash your hands. <laughs> okay, bye.